Hi everyone, welcome again to the Daily Gospel Exegesis podcast produced by Logical Bible Study. I hope you're enjoying this approach to scripture where we take an in-depth look at the gospel reading from today's Mass. We're doing a verse-by-verse commentary of the very words of the text, so really helping you understand the literal sense. Today we get to a very important reading, Luke chapter 24 verses 1 to 12. So this is what you would hear at today's Mass. And by the way, there's no Mass during the day today for Holy Saturday, but there is a Vigil Mass tonight. So this is the reading for the Vigil Mass. On the first day of the week, at the first sign of dawn, they went to the tomb with the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, but on entering, discovered that the body of the Lord Jesus was not there. As they stood there not knowing what to think, two men in brilliant clothes suddenly appeared at their side. Terrified, the women lowered their eyes. But the two men said to them, Why look among the dead for someone who is alive? He is not here, he has risen. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man had to be handed over into the power of sinful men and be crucified and rise again on the third day. And they remembered his words. When the women returned from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the others. The women were Mary of Magdala, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. The other, with, the other women with them also told the apostles, but this story of theirs seemed pure nonsense, and they did not believe them. Peter, however, went running to the tomb. He bent down and saw the binding cloths, but nothing else. He then went back home, amazed at what had happened. So this is our reading for today, and we want to start, as always, by thinking about the context. So Jesus has died on the cross in the previous passage, and he's been buried. In the burial, the women saw Jesus' tomb, they saw where he was buried, and they saw the whole burial process. And in particular, they noticed that Jesus is buried in a hurry. He's only able to be partially anointed by Joseph of Arimathea. So Jesus' anointing doesn't get to be finished on Good Friday evening because the Sabbath is approaching, so they need to rush the process. So the women want to finish the anointing process. So on Good Friday evening, they go home, they quickly prepare spices and ointments before the Sabbath begins. And then on the Sabbath, they can't do anything because you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. So when the Sabbath is over, they return to the tomb to finish the anointing. So that's what we're going to see here early on the Sunday morning. Luke says it's the first day of the week. So that will be Sunday. If we have our dating correct, most scholars would say this is April 5th, 33 AD. But there is some dispute about the exact dates here. But the language here of the first day of the week, Luke here is probably trying to highlight this is the beginning of a new creation. Just as the creation week began with the first day, this is the beginning of a new creation with Jesus' resurrection. Luke says it was at the first sign of dawn. So we're talking very early in the morning. The women get up with their uh, spices and ointments and they went to the tomb with the spices they had prepared. So who are these people exactly? Well, as we learn in a couple of verses, we have a group here of women, and there's at least five of them. We sometimes don't realize that there's quite a few of them. There's at least five. They're all Jesus' followers. 
These women had been at the foot of the cross when he died, and they'd also watched him being placed in the tomb. So they're going to the tomb now to anoint his body with spices because it wasn't properly finished. And you can see that in John chapter 19, where it discusses how Joseph started the anointing process, but didn't finish it. Now, to anoint a decomposing body was not a very pleasant task to do, but the women's devotion to Jesus moves them to perform one last act of kindness for him. They're not expecting him to be resurrected. They're just going there to the tomb to finish anointing him. Now, there is a bit of a conflict here, as we'll see, in terms of the way Luke describes what happens when the women go to the tomb and the way Matthew and Mark describe it, particularly the way Matthew describes it. Matthew and Luke actually tell quite a different story in some respects here, but we're going to try and reconcile it. We're going to try and put the two together and see if we can uh, put together some sort of chronology of what happens here. So Matthew's gospel tells us that what happens perhaps on the way, or while the women are on the way to the tomb, is there's a great earthquake and then an angel descends from heaven and rolls away the stone. So if we put the two gospel accounts together, it looks like what happens here is the angel descends from heaven, rolls away the stone, but the women have not yet arrived. So the women maybe don't see that happen. Uh, this is just my proposal of how to understand these things. So the women are still on the way when uh, the angel rolls away the tomb. But the guards, the Roman guards, do see the angel descend from heaven. And as a result, according to Matthew's gospel, the guards faint. But the women don't see the angel roll away the stone. Now, once the angel has done that, apparently the angel stays there the whole time. But the women don't notice him immediately. Apparently he's there, possibly sitting on the stone somewhere. But the women don't notice him initially. Verse 2 they found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So they notice that someone has already done the job for them. Normally, this would take several powerful men. So they're probably wondering who's done this. Is it robbers who have opened the tomb? Now, if we add in what we know from John's gospel, at this point, it looks like Mary Magdalene sees the empty tomb and she runs to tell Peter and John. So Mary Magdalene leave, leaves the group at this point. Verse 3, but on entering, discovered, discovered that the body of the Lord Jesus was not there. So the women go into the tomb and they see that his body isn't there. This is the only time in Luke's gospel that he uses the phrase, the Lord Jesus, interestingly. And when it's used in the book of Acts, it typically refers to the resurrected Jesus. So Luke here is sort of foreshadowing that Jesus has resurrected. Verse 4, as they stood there not knowing what to think. Another translation there is, they were perplexed about this. So the women are just not sure what to think. Where's Jesus? They don't realize he's been resurrected. Then two men in brilliant clothes suddenly appeared at their side. So the language that's used here is similar how there's two witnesses at the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, and then also two witnesses at the ascension in Acts chapter 1. In fact, the Greek construction here, which says, behold, two men appeared, it suggests that Luke is deliberately highlighting the parallels between the three passages. So there's continuity between the transfiguration, the resurrection, and the ascension. All of them show God's glory. That seems to be what Luke is trying to say here. So we have here two men, as Luke calls them, and we know from the other Gospels that these are angels. Angels are often depicted as men, particularly uh, later in the Bible. So 2 Maccabees and Tobit chapter 5 and Acts also talks about angels uh, appearing as men. Matthew's gospel tells us that these angels, so Luke says uh, brilliant clothes, and Matthew says they have a face like lightning, their robes are white as snow. So the whole appearance of these angels is incredibly white, and that's often how angels are depicted in the Bible. Uh, 
Now, the fact that we have such detail here indicates that Luke got this information from eyewitnesses. You'll hear the eyewitness aspect all the way through here. Verse 5, terrified, the women lowered their eyes. Another translation here is, and as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. So uh, that's a common response in the Bible. When people see angels, they're afraid. According to Matthew and Mark's gospel, one of the angels then says, do not be afraid. Although Luke doesn't include that line here. So the angels say to the women, do not be afraid. And then they say to the women, why look among the dead for someone who is alive? Or another translation there is, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And you've probably heard this line before proclaimed in association with the resurrection. When the angels say this, this would be shocking for the women. He has risen. That's not something they expected. That wasn't part of their Jewish thinking about the way the world worked. Here, this angel or the two angels are the first ones to proclaim he is risen. And the verb here suggests that God is the one who has done the raising. God has raised Jesus from the dead. And in a sense, Jesus' prayer, remember Jesus' prayer earlier was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, it's now been answered in a sense. God has raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 6, the angels say, Remember what he told you when he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man had to be handed over into the power of sinful men and be crucified and rise again on the third day. So these are all things that Jesus told them would happen. In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, and then in verse 44, and then again it comes up in Luke 18 again, Jesus predicts that he's going to be killed and then rise again. But it seems that the women and most of the disciples had not taken these prophecies to heart. But now the women remember his words, so they realize what it means. And apparently this is enough for them to realize that it's true. Jesus has resurrected. It all makes sense. Now, according to Matthew and Mark's Gospels, at this point, the angels then tell the women to go and tell the other disciples and the apostles what they have seen. Because the leaders of the Christian community, which is the apostles, they need to hear the news that Jesus has risen. So the angels tell the women to go and deliver the message to the apostles. So the women really are going to be apostles to the apostles. That's fairly remarkable since in the Jewish law at the time, women were not considered to be trustworthy witnesses. And as we'll see, that's the reason the men don't believe them. Women's stories were not considered to be trustworthy. The angel also tells the women that Jesus will appear to them again in Galilee. So he tells the women to tell the apostles to get ready to see Jesus in Galilee. Mark's gospel tells us that as the women leave the tomb, they're actually quite afraid. And Matthew's gospel tells us that as the women are going back to the apostles, Jesus appears to them on the road. So there's apparently an appearance of Jesus here to the women. That's listed in Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. We get to verse 9 now in Luke's gospel. When the women returned from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the others. So the eleven here, because Judas is no longer around. The women go to the apostles and the other disciples If we add in what we know from John's gospel, apparently John and Peter are not among the apostles at this point. They have already uh, left for the tomb, it looks like. So the women go and tell the apostles, and Luke is now going to list the names of the women. Why does he do that? Well, probably because they were important eyewitnesses in these events. Verse 10, the women were Mary of Magdala. So, of course, this is one of Jesus' closest female supporters. She's from the town of Magdala, and that's a town you can go to today. 
She's mentioned a few times in the Gospels, particularly Mark chapter 16, verse 9, says that she was a woman who Jesus delivered demons from. We also have here Joanna listed. Only Luke mentions Joanna. She's mentioned earlier in the Gospel, in chapter 8, verse 3, and many scholars think the fact that only Luke mentions her and that he places her in this scene, right in the middle of the scene actually, indicates that she might be the eyewitness who gives Luke this information. So a lot of scholars think that uh, Joanna is possibly the source for this particular story. We also have, at this scene, Mary, the mother of James. This is, gets a bit confusing because there's apparently a few different Marys involved here. So this is Mary, the mother of James. Apparently, she's the same woman as Mary, the wife of Clopas. So that means she's the mother of James and Joseph. She's actually mentioned a few times in the Gospels, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Mark chapter 15, verse 40 mentions her. And in all likelihood, she's probably a relative of Mary because James and Joseph, who are her children, they are the brothers of the Lord in Mark chapter 6. So if James and Joseph are the brothers of the Lord and Mary is their mother, then possibly this Mary might be a relative of Jesus' own mother, Mary. So there's an interesting connection there. And Luke tells us there's also some other women with them. So there's other women in addition to the three that he's listed. We know the name of one of these other women, and that would be Salome. So Salome is the wife of Zebedee, and she's the mother of James and John. So here's where it gets confusing. Sometimes scholars have combined these two Marys, but I I suspect that these are separate. We have Mary, the mother of James. So that's the wife of Clopas. She's the mother of James and Joseph. And then there's another woman here called Salome, She's the wife of Zebedee, mother of James and John, but they're apparently two different women. So these other women also told the apostles. So there's a group of these women going to the apostles to tell them what's happened. But Luke says this story of theirs seemed pure nonsense. More literally, it says, seemed to them an idle tale. And the apostles did not believe them. So the apostles don't believe the women's story about Jesus' resurrection. Why not? Well, firstly, because... uh, resurrection was not something the apostles predicted. That wasn't really part of the Jewish worldview. They did believe that the general resurrection would happen at the end of time, but they didn't think individuals would rise again before then bodily. So when the women start telling this story about Jesus has risen again, they've gone with the kind of the main cultural convention, which is to distrust women's testimony. They think that the women are just making stuff up. Now, the fact that the disciples, the apostles, don't believe the women's story, that, if you think about it, that emphasizes that the resurrection was not a scheme that was invented by the apostles. Some skeptical scholars say the apostles uh, kind of, it was a conspiracy theory where the apostles uh, manufactured the resurrection. But clearly we see here the apostles did not expect the resurrection to happen, and they didn't believe it when they first heard about the resurrection. Verse 12, Peter, however, so Peter is reintroduced to the story here. He hasn't been mentioned since the end of Luke chapter 22 when he denied Jesus. So a couple of days later, he's now mentioned again. Peter went running to the tomb. Once again, if we add in information from John's gospel, it looks like Peter was told by Mary Magdalene earlier. So he and John, Peter and John go running to the tomb earlier. Peter is willing to consider what the women have said. So in that sense, he's got more virtue than the other apostles do. He's more open to this truth that Jesus maybe has resurrected. So he and John go running to the tomb. And Luke says he bent down or he stooped and looked in. So he 
went into the tomb. He saw the binding cloths, but nothing else. Another translation here is he saw the linen cloths by themselves. So these are the cloths that are used to wrap around the dead person. In Luke chapter 23, we're told that Joseph of Arimathea wrapped Jesus up in these cloths. Now, John's gospel tells us that Peter sees particularly the cloth that had been wrapped over Jesus' head. It had been rolled up in a place by itself. And that's significant because if it was robbers who've taken Jesus out of the tomb, they would not have unwrapped the corpse before stealing it. So seeing this kind of neatly uh, wrapped pile of, uh, of the linen, of the cloths, indicates to Peter that something interesting has happened here. It's not grave robbers. Luke tells us he then went back home amazed at what had happened. So he doesn't yet fully believe, but he soon has an appearance where Jesus appears to him. That's going to be mentioned in verse 34, but he's starting to be open to the possibility. He's probably thinking to himself, could it be? Could it be that Jesus has risen again? So later in the day, Peter will see Jesus, and then Jesus will also appear to the 12 apostles, except for Thomas. So there will be more appearances of Jesus later on this day. In fact, the very next section of Luke is uh, Jesus' first resurrection appearance in the Gospel of Luke, and that's the road to Emmaus. So that's the very next story. You can hear that road to Emmaus story on Easter Wednesday every year. So let's now turn to the Catechism. And as you might expect, there's quite a few here about the resurrection for us to look at. So we'll just read out a few of them. Paragraph 2174, this is about the day of the resurrection, the new creation. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Because it is the first day, the day of Christ's resurrection recalls the first creation. Because it is the eighth day following the Sabbath, it symbolizes the new creation ushered in by Christ's resurrection. For Christians, it has become the first of all days, the first of all feasts, the Lord's Day, Sunday. And it goes on there to quote from uh, some early early church Christians who uh, tell us what they do on Sunday. So that's paragraph 2174. Paragraph 640, this whole section here is about the empty tomb and the resurrection. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. The first element we encounter in the framework of the Easter events is the empty tomb. In itself, it is not a direct proof of the resurrection. The absence of Christ's body from the tomb could be explained otherwise. Nonetheless, the empty tomb was still an essential sign for all. Its discovery by the disciples was the first step towards recognizing the very fact of the resurrection. This was the case first with the holy women and then with Peter. And then paragraph 641, Mary Magdalene and the holy women who came to to finish anointing the body of Jesus, which had been buried in haste because the Sabbath began on the evening of Good Friday, were the first to encounter the risen one. Thus, the women were the first messengers of Christ's resurrection for the apostles themselves. They were the next to whom Jesus appears. First Peter, then the twelve. Paragraph 643. Given all these testimonies, Christ's resurrection cannot be interpreted as something outside the physical order, and it is impossible not to acknowledge it as an historical fact. Now, it's worth pausing there. The Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. It cannot be understood any other way. This is a teaching of the church. The resurrection is a historical fact. So continuing on, it is clear from the facts that the disciples' faith was drastically put to the test by their master's passion and death on the cross, which he had foretold. 
The shock provoked by the passion was so great that at least some of the disciples did not at once believe in the news of the resurrection. Far from showing us a community seized by a mystical exaltation, the Gospels present us with disciples demoralized and frightened. For they had not believed the holy women returning from the tomb and had regarded their words as an idle tale. When Jesus reveals himself to the eleven on Easter evening, he upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Paragraph 626 is a really interesting one. This is about what's going on with Jesus in the three days he's in the tomb. Since the author of life who was killed is the same living one who has risen, the divine divine person of the Son of God necessarily continued to possess his human soul and body, separated from each other by death. By the fact that at Christ's death his soul was separated from his flesh, his one person is not itself divided into two persons. For the human body and soul of Christ have existed in the same way from the beginning of his earthly existence. In the divine person of the word and in death, though separated from each other, both remained with one and the same person of the word. Some pretty complex sort of metaphysics going on here about Jesus' soul. So that's well worth studying, paragraph 626. And then paragraph 652 is about the significance of the resurrection. Christ's resurrection is the fulfillment of the promises both of the Old Testament and of Jesus himself during his earthly life. The phrase, in accordance with the scriptures, indicates that Christ's resurrection fulfilled these predictions. So there's a lot of really great paragraphs from the Catechism there. I'll include those in the episode description if you'd like to take a closer look. Thanks for your support of the ministry. I hope you've learned something new. Please consider becoming a financial supporter of the ministry. There's a link to the Patreon page in the show notes. And take a look at the bonus things that are available to you uh, through the Patreon page. So tomorrow's episode will be for Easter, a very joyful day. I hope you'll tune in for that tomorrow.